Well, I ask, with you, uh, ask you to turn with me in Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 4. We'll be in the first portion of this chapter. So we've been near the end and now, and we were uh, near the beginning, and now we're kind of in the middle. So I <laughs> don't know what to call this and why the Lord keeps bringing me here uh, week by week. Um, perhaps we'll, I don't know, call this a highlights of Song of Solomon. <laughs> I don't intend to preach through the book, but it is a glorious portion of Scripture. And we'll begin reading from Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 1. And let us hear the word of God. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof everyone bare twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the Tower of David, builded for an armory whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Amen. End our reading there. Trust the Lord to bless us all to our souls and let us seek His face one last time. Our Father, we come briefly asking that You will now open up Thy Word to us. And Lord, that You will make it plain, that You will make it sweet to our taste. Oh Lord, we ask that You will make it a word in season for every soul that is here. And Lord, that You would cause it to bear fruit in all of our lives. And we thank Thee that it is the inspired Word of God and it is profitable unto all godliness. And Lord, we ask that You will bless this portion specifically to each of us today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and enable me to preach Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> as I said... Uh, perhaps you're you're wondering is he is he going to start going through the book? Probably not. But like I said, these are really highlights, I guess, of the Song of Solomon. And this portion uh, was greatly impressed upon my soul this week. And the Lord has a great message in it for us. This portion that we've read really, in some ways, more than any other in the book, highlights what we are in Christ. It highlights union with Christ. It highlights what the bride is in Christ. Just noting again our interpretation of the book, Most, many of you have heard me say this twice now, but uh, 
the classic uh, reform position, although you know it differs from very from person to person how you interpret the passages. But this is Christ and His bride. It's a book about the King and His bride. It's about union with Christ and the bride and Christ pursuing one another. It's about their love in union with one another. And if you keep that focus through the book, there is much here to bless your soul. It is a very positive book. And it is for the encouragement and the comfort of Christ's church. And so, and we've come to this portion, which I said highlights more than any other, uh, it seems, what we are in Christ. And we see that theme repeated throughout the book. And there's a good reason for that. It's because it's a constant need of the Christian to be reminded of what we are in Christ. We need that reminder constantly. And as we come here, we come to a major theme in the book. And so as we consider verses 1 through 7, I want to speak to you about Christ convincing His bride of her beauty. Christ convincing His bride of her beauty. We read in verse 1, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. The first thing I want us to notice as we meditate here this morning is that she needs to be convinced of her beauty. She needs to be convinced of her beauty. Christ begins this portion by telling his bride, the church, Behold, Behold, he says it twice, the same statement. Thou art fair, thou art fair. In other words, he's, he's drawing her attention to consider something, to behold something, to look at something, and to be convinced of it. Well, why do I say she needs to be convinced of her beauty? Well, the first thing I want us to see here is that she does not view herself as fair. She does not view herself as fair or beautiful as the word could be translated. If you look back in chapter 1, you'll see what she says about herself at the beginning of the book in verse 6. Verses 5 and 6, really, but verse 6 is sufficient for us. She says in verse 6 of chapter 1, Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me, They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. And this is an insight into how the bride here views herself. Look not upon me, because I am black. Mine own vineyard have I not kept. In other words, there's really two things she's highlighting. She's By saying, look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me, she's denoting her poverty, her her poor state. And, And that would be, Uh, seen in the evidence of the fact that she's been out working in the heat of the day and the sun beating down upon her. That's the point. That's why she says that language, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. It's the image of the fact that she's been out uh, in in slave-like work and engaging in that labor because she's low on the totem pole, as it were. She's poor. The other thing she denotes is that she hasn't kept her vineyard. They've made me the keeper of the vineyards. In other words, that's the labor. But mine own vineyard have I not kept. 
In other words, she's saying that as far as she's concerned, she's unkept. And if you think about the imagery there, an unkept vineyard uh, looks very messy. It, it looks very ugly. You think about just your yard, for example. If you don't keep up your yard and the weeds grow and all the things that come with, with yard maintenance, that's really the image that we're given is that this, there's this unkept vineyard. And that's how she views herself. She views herself as poor and ugly. And believers, genuine believers, are in many ways the same. We are people who are born of the Spirit. Do not go around saying, look at me and how beautiful I am. This is talking about spiritual beauty. And we do not go around saying, look how great I am, look how obedient I am, look how perfect I am. We're introspective. We, we tend to be introspective and we see our blemishes. They're not, they're not usually hidden from us. We, we see how, how vile we are and wicked we are and how far short we fall of God's standard in His Word. And that's not entirely unfounded. Paul says that he's the chief of sinners and, and we are to view ourselves in that way. But that's a matter of humility, not of morbid viewing of yourself. In other words, though we, we recognize our failures and our faults, and that's a means of humbling us, we shouldn't walk around in, in morbid dis, dis, depression about what we are in terms of our practice. We should look at what God says about us as we are in union with Jesus Christ. And that's the point of this passage. So she does not view herself as fair. She needs to be convinced of her beauty. And the second thing I want you to see as we think about her need to be convinced, Christ knows how she views herself. He knows how she views herself. She doesn't view herself as fair, and He knows that. If you look again at chapter 1, and what we're told at the end of the chapter, after she says in verse 6, Look not upon me, and I'm unkept. Christ says at the end of the chapter, the very same words almost that we find in our text today. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant. And so she says that to him. She says that uh, in response in verse 16. But in verse 15, it's like the same, almost the exact same, but it's like a, it's a glimpse of how he views her in chapter 1. She says, this is how I view myself, and he says, this is how I view you. And it's just a window. But then, when we come to chapter 4, and the passage we're looking at today, he continues to see this need in his bride. It's a constant need. She's constantly viewing herself in the negative, constantly viewing herself in, in, a, in a morbid manner. Look not upon me. I'm not beautiful. And yet he says in chapter 4, the same words, Behold, thou art fair. But now he goes on this, this full display of how he views her. You got a taste of it in chapter 1. But now, as he views her, he still sees the need, and now he fully meets the need. 
He tells her of her beauty in chapter 1, and now he displays her beauty in chapter 4. And you know, this is just a, a note here that we see in Christ in this aspect as we're thinking about the fact that he knows how she views herself. He's the perfect husband. What I mean is that Christ never has to ask his bride what's wrong. You think about that. That he, he sees her need. He sees that this is her need. She needs to be convinced of her beauty. And it's, it's not... It's a part of his knowledge. He's not ignorant of what she needs. And yet... The brethren here know with me how often we have to ask ask our wives, what's wrong? What what do you need? What's happening? And yet Christ never has to ask that question of his bride. He constantly knows the needs of his people. And he's constantly able to minister and meet fully the needs of his people. He is the perfect husband. So she does not view herself as fair, and Christ knows how she views herself. She needs to be convinced of her beauty. The second thing I want you to see, as he goes into this display, I want you to see how he convinces her. He convinces her by the name he uses. That's the second thing I want you to see. He convinces her by the name he uses. He says to her in chapter 4, Behold, thou art fair, my love. My love. And by using this name, he is convincing her of her beauty. This name communicates possessive love. Christ calls her my love. She is his. And that means, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you are his. You are his. As, he, as you read this here, don't, don't think of it as like some abstract thing that Christ is saying to somebody out there, my love. No, he's saying it to you this morning. He's calling you my love. And it communicates possessive love. You are his precious possession and he treasures you. We need to live in that. We need to to feel that reality. That Christ has purchased us with His own blood. And that we're not some meaningless possession of His. But we are His prized possession. That He has taken upon Him all the things that we sang about. He's taken upon Him all the labor of the work of redemption in order to bring you to the position where He can rightly call you His love. And so you are His. But as we think about His possessive love, you can be no one else's. You can be no one else's. You are His and you can be no one else's. Now, Think about the fact that Christ calls you His love. You're no one else's. 
And what does that mean? That means that he's going to keep you as his love. That you're never going to not be his love. Now, you and I can think of many reasons and, and many failures that would put us in a position where we would not consider ourselves worthy of such a title and worthy of such a name. And yet, Christ bestows this name upon us. My love. And what is this pointing us to here? It's pointing us to the fact that this love is, is everlasting. It's, it were His possession and will always be His possession. And so really it helps us to think of the language of John 10. That He's going to keep us. That we're in His hand. That no man can pluck us out of His hand. And you think of the language of Jude, verse 24. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless for the, for the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Able to keep you. You are His and you can be no one else's. But this name communicates also particular love. It's possessive love, but it's particular love. It's a, it's a title for His bride. It's my love. And you know that this phrase, my love, this title, is very interesting. It only occurs in the Song of Solomon. It occurs nine times in your English Bible, and they're all in the Song of Solomon. And they're all the king speaking of his bride. She is my love. And so, the obvious thing as we think about particular love is that he does not call everyone by this name. He does not call everyone by this name. Think about it. Behold it. All the countless multitudes in the world. Everyone in existence. And out of those countless multitudes of people, He has brought you into His church. And He calls you my love. You think about the relationship between a husband and a wife, and no doubt you have pet names. You might call one another honey or, or something like that. But the thing is, is that you would never call someone else by that name. You would only call your spouse by that name. And when they hear that name, they know that you only call them by it. And it communicates particular love. And that's what Christ does with this title by calling us my love. So he doesn't call everyone by this name and he calls you individually by this name. I don't want us to miss this, that he calls you individually by this name. It might be easy to, to read this and that title and, and though it is a collective title of everyone in the church of Christ as we think about he's just speaking of his bride, the church, but even though it's a collective title, it's personal because His church is made up of people. And so what I mean is I don't want you to miss it that Christ is speaking to all His people when He says this. You might be tempted to think, like I was saying in the first point, we, we need to be convinced of our beauty. We don't view ourselves as fair. You might be thinking this morning, well, that refers to the majority of Christ's church, but that doesn't refer to me. 
I have too many blemishes for Christ to say something like that about me. Too many faults, too many failures for Him to say that I am His love. But that's not true. If you are in Christ, if you are in union with Him, then He calls you His love. He is speaking to all His people when He says this, not some, but all. So He convinces her by the name He uses. But thirdly, what I want you to see is that He convinces her by the description He proclaims. He convinces her by the description he proclaims. He he makes this statement in verse 1 that she's fair and he calls her my love and he repeats it. Behold, thou art fair. Behold, thou art fair. He's emphasizing it. And he repeats the dove's eye statement that we saw in verse 1. But now, in connection with that, he launches into this whole description of her beauty. And just a couple things to note before we dive into these verses Verses uh, 1 through 5, considering these things that Christ says, just a few things to note. When you come to the Song of Solomon, and whenever I preach from it, I want you to come away feeling like you can understand the book. I don't want you to walk away thinking that that's just way too out there, and I'd never see that if I read it. And you'll find a lot of that as you study verses like this. You'll find men going on long treatises of different doctrines and they'll be pulling out things and you say, well, that's a blessing, but I don't know where he got that from. And I don't want you, as we look at these verses today, to feel like that because I don't believe that's the intention of the book. It's meant to be simple truth to feed the soul as Christ describes the beauty of his bride. It's objective truth that's based on our union with Christ. Everything we're saying today, it's not beauty that we've earned, but it's beauty that has been imputed to us because of our union with Christ. And as we consider this description, we need to keep that in mind. So I'm taking his description as really, they're a collective whole. They're they're describing the overall beauty of his bride. They're not like individual parts that are meant to be, you know, gone off on some tangent. They're a collective whole describing attributes of his church that he has given to her. Describing her spiritual beauty. And so as we consider these verses, I want you to see first, as he proclaims this description, that he proclaims her purity in him. He proclaims her purity in him. Let's read these verses again. He says, Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof every one bear twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the Tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. He proclaims her purity. And we'll note a couple things in those verses, but I want you to see here that that she is pure in all her parts. She is pure in all her parts. Christ gives us seven different 
items to consider. Eyes, hair, teeth, lips, speech, temples, neck, breasts. All these things comprising as a whole all her parts and noting that she is pure in them. Note what he says concerning dove's eyes in this description. Dove's eyes were, in this particular dove that's being considered, were some of the most beautiful eyes to behold as you, as you read and as you study. And, and Christ is saying that, that she has these eyes, some of the most beautiful eyes that can be looked into. And they're within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. And Mount Gilead was a place known for, for healthy grazing of goats. And so, in other words, her hair is, is healthy. Her eyes are pure and healthy. Her hair is pure and healthy. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing. And that word washing denotes cleansing. It has the idea of, of bathing. They've come up from the washing. They're clean. And so as we go through these, Christ is denoting the purity of His bride. He's denoting that there's, there's no blemish in her. Thy, thy lips are like a thread of scarlet. Thy speech is comely. Purity in eyes, purity in hair, purity in teeth, lips, purity in speech. Her speech is comely. That which comes out of you is pure. Now, when we think about that, I know you, like I, are just so, you can so easily see that that is not the case in our practice. I know you see that like I do. But again, I remind you, this is not about our practice. This is about our legal union with Jesus Christ and how God views His people in Him. He proclaims her purity. He denotes all her parts, all her major parts that, that are to be noticed. Noting that her, her breasts are like two young rows that are twins which feed among the lilies. In other words, in all her parts, she's healthy, she's pure, she's vibrant. She's free from blemish. He proclaims her purity in Him. But He also proclaims her completeness in Him. He proclaims her completeness in Him. He notes really two things as we go through this description, taking them all together. That she is completely supplied with all her parts. She's completely supplied with all her parts. Notice what He says that she has eyes, they're plural, she has two eyes. Thy hair is as a flock of goats. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep. In other words, a whole flock. There's none missing from them. It's a full flock. He notes that she, is, she has none barren among her teeth. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof one, everyone bare twins, and none is barren among them. In other words, there's nothing, nothing missing in you. There's, there's everything that you need is supplied in order to be beautiful. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a beautiful picture of what we have in Christ. That, that everything you could imagine, everything that makes you spiritually beautiful is found in Him. 
That's why we sang complete in thee. Complete in thee each want supplied. Everything you lacked is now supplied in Christ. And only in Him. Completely supplied with all her parts. There's nothing missing. There's, there, you're not going to get to the gates of heaven and be turned away because there's something that you don't have. If you're in Christ, you have it all. You have everything in Him. All your obedience to the law. All this satisfaction of the wrath of God. Everything. So she is completely supplied. But also see that she is completely symmetrical. She is completely symmetrical. He says... Concerning a flock, he does note a flock and they're, they're gathered together. But the, the two main things I want you to see here is that he says that of her teeth, that they're like a flock of sheep that are even shorn. They're all, they're all the same. In other words, they, they've had their, their trimmings. They're all the same. And that's what your teeth are like. They're all the same. There's none crooked among them. And she came up from the washing whereof everyone bare twins. And twins are alike. That's the point there. They're all the same. And he says the same, denoting her breast, that they're, they, they are twins. And so there's perfect symmetry here. You're completely supplied and you're completely symmetrical. There's nothing out of proportion in you. It's not only that everything is supplied, but everything is supplied in perfect proportion in Christ. And I, I trust that as we go through this, that you are able to see these things. You'd be surprised as you read these verses, all kinds of things that people will pull out and, and, and just come up with different parallels in Scripture. But this is really the point as they are taken in a collective whole. You see these attributes of what the church is in Christ. She's pure and she's complete. He also proclaims something else. He proclaims her humility in Him. He proclaims her humility in him. Not only not only are we perfectly pure and perfectly complete, but our humility in Christ from the perspective of God, from our union with him and our legal standing is complete. He proclaims her humility in him. That is in verse 3 where he denotes he says, thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Now the word temples could be translated cheeks. So it could be said, thy cheeks are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. And now the fruit of the pomegranate, as best I can research, had a, 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 had a rosy red color to it. Like, as you think about, in the color of cheeks when they blush. When they blush. And so that's why I say he proclaims her humility in him. Because as he is, he's describing her in her beauty. He's, he's denoting all these things about her convincing, of her. convincing her of her beauty. And as he comes to this, he tells her that your cheeks are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. In other words, they turn red in light of all that I'm saying. You blush at what 
Christ says about you. Because as you and I can readily acknowledge, we don't see ourselves this way. And as you read these things, and you see these things, you blush that Christ would say such things about you. He proclaims her humility in Him. And the final thing He proclaims is her stability in Him. He proclaims her stability in Him. He says in verse 4 that thy neck is like the Tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. In other words, her neck is able to bear weight. He, he denotes that it's like it's David, like the Tower of David, builded for an armory. And they're all shields of mighty men that are hanging on you. In other words, there's a lot of weight on her neck. And that's why I say stability in him. Because the neck is the portion of the body that holds up the head. And so I would suggest to you that really what we have here is Christ noting her stability in him in regards to her faith. That in Christ you have perfect faith imputed to you. It's not that you don't, it's not that you feel like you have perfect faith, but that as you are in union with Christ, you have been given a faith that is never going to fail. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And it is because you're in union with Christ that your faith will endure. You will always be stable in him. You will always have perfect stability in him. Not in the subjective practice of our everyday life. But as far as your union with him is concerned. No man can pluck you out of his hand. There's firm footing in Christ. And as he beholds his bride and describes her beauty. He sees all these things. Comprising her beauty in him. And he denotes all of them to her. Convincing her. Of her beauty. Your purity, your completeness, your humility, and your stability. All in Him. All in Christ. So He convinces her by the description He proclaims. And then, fourthly and finally, He convinces her by the conclusion He makes. He convinces her by the conclusion He makes. Verses 6 and 7. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. The conclusion he makes. Note first here that he concludes that she is worthy of communion. He concludes that she is worthy of communion. Verse 6. Now verse 6 is again one of those difficult verses to interpret. But the general sense of it is the sense that either Christ or as some say the bride is getting to the place of communion. 
It's a verse that really the idea is that they're retiring to the place of communion. That's why it says, until the day break and the shadows flee away, until it's time to, to go out into the day, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Both spices uh, denoting worship. Both spices denoting uh, the activity of the temple, myrrh and frankincense. And so that's why I say it's the focus of it is on communion. And so either the groom which is the way I am taking it, is assuring and inviting his bride to commune with him in light of her beauty and her worthiness to commune with him, or it's the bride's response to the groom's proclamation. That's basically the way people take it. I leave it with you. I'm not going to be overly dogmatic. But I think it makes sense in light of the, the description that Christ is continuing on in his speech, that the bride that the groom, rather, is continually supplying his bride with convincing of her beauty. And so, I say he concludes that she's worthy of communion. And he is calling her, in light of her beauty, until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. In other words, I'm going to go to the place of communion. And you are worthy to meet me there. You are worthy to come and to spend time with me in the place of the most intimate communion. He concludes that she is worthy of communion. He concludes that she is full of beauty. Verse 7. Thou art all fair. He said at the beginning that she was fair. Behold, thou art fair. Behold, thou art fair. But now he says in his conclusion, thou art all fair. In other words, as that word all communicates, she is entirely beautiful. This is, the, this is the conclusion that Christ makes when he looks at you in him. That you're entirely beautiful. That everything about you is beautiful in him. That your legal standing before God is, is perfectly supplied and you're beautiful. You're full of beauty in Him. Thou art all fair. And he concludes that she is free from blemish. Full of beauty and free from blemish. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. No spot in thee. If you don't get anything else out of this message, just, just leave with that. Leave with that reality. As you are in union with Christ, as you stand in Him, there's no spot in you. In other words, there's no blemish, as the word can be translated. There's no blemish. And there is no spot in her because she's in union with Him. And so, what are we doing this whole time? What are we meant to walk away with? As you behold your beauty, you are beholding His beauty. It's not beauty that we've earned. It's not beauty that we even deserve. But it's beauty in Him that's been given to us. No spot in her because she's in union with Him. Now I want you to think about that word and where it occurs in Leviticus chapter 21, we're told, and that same word occurs here. Leviticus 21, 
verse 21. No man that hath a blemish or a spot of the seed of Aaron the priest shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish or a spot. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Now think of that. That word occurring there. He's telling, Moses is telling them, you're not going to be allowed into the most holy place. You're not going to be allowed within the veil if you have a spot. And Christ tells us, there's no spot in thee. All beauty has been supplied and all blemish has been subtracted. This is Christ convincing his bride of her beauty. He is telling her all that she has in him. And he's calling her and he's calling us to behold it for all the glory that it is. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks for the word of God. Lord, it is hard to believe that such things are spoken. And Lord, we know you don't intend us to become puffed up. But we know that we are to boast in Christ. And Lord, we're thankful in light of what we've heard that we can go out today praising thy name and boasting in all the beauty that Christ has provided. Lord, we're thankful that you would give us such a revelation. Oh Lord, we know you tell us how wicked we are in your word as well. But Lord, we're thankful that you've, you've taken the time, you've condescended to tell us of our beauty in Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we leave this place today, we will leave here in that reality. We will leave here seeing Christ in all His beauty and that beauty ours in Him. Lord, we give Thee thanks. Bless Thy word, we pray. Take it beyond the ability of any man. May the Holy Spirit apply it to each heart and make it a word in season for each one. For we ask it in Christ's name. Thank you.